there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. All right, we're doing another correspondence episode between Lewis and Lovecraft. Uh, these are very quick. Ah, I shouldn't say they're becoming my favorite because I do love hanging out with Hannah and talking about books, but I really love hanging out with new people and making new friends, and that is exactly what I've been doing with the show. Um, and to continue that spirit, I've got uh, a new guest with me, Robert Kano. Is it Kano? It's pronounced Kano. Kano. See, okay, yeah. here's the thing. I think I've realized that my shtick with this show is I'm always going to pronounce people's names wrong. <laughs> I you know what? That's okay. That's the, okay. The last three, four interviewers or interviews that I've done, I've pronounced their name wrong. And I think that's just going to become <laughs> my thing. You know what? I'm just going to own it. Hey, yeah. Hey, own it. Take it. Run yeah. with it. Right. Uh, Robert, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Robert and I are in a writer's group together. So I've been watching him uh, promote some cool stuff coming out. Um, And I figured, you know what? This show that's all about books and writing could really use is someone who's written a book. (laughs) We haven't had one of those before. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so Robert, you are officially our first author on Between Lewis Ooh. and Lovecraft. How cool is that? I think it's a pretty big deal, but I, I, I am honored. <laughs> uh, so, I am honored. So, Robert, uh, uh, why don't you tell us about yourself? How about you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Robert Cano. Uh, I am a dark fantasy and science fiction author. Uh, my published works so far are all in dark fantasy with starting with the shadow cult and then starting the, uh, soul of sorrow series with the dark archer and the shadow cult. Wait, the suffering is the first one. My bad. Sorry. (laughs) Um, and I am working on the world soul, which is, which will wrap up this trilogy. Um, and then come February, uh, everything goes according to plan, which I think I'll be able to do it. Uh, we will be releasing my first science fiction novel entitled A Mother's Love. Um, don't let the title fool you, though. That is one messed up book. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. That is it's like a one of those things where like, they're like, oh, you get to meet Tiny. And you're like, oh, that's great. But then it's like the big guy always walks in. And you're like, why are you naming him Tiny? That's, why you, that's, a, yeah, that's a misleading yeah. here. It's, it's a little ironic of a name, uh, but I thought it was fitting just because of, of the, the content in it. Um, it's, it's really, really messed up. I had to actually had to scale it back a little bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've done that. I've done that myself with some of my writing where, um, not that I, uh, not that I felt like I was, I, I was writing as an experiment, really, just to see how how bad I could get, right? Um, yeah. What am I willing to let myself talk about as a writer? That sort of thing. And uh, there was a point where I was like, man, I really don't... I don't have enough experience in life with this subject to justify me even writing about it. So mm. I kind of took it back out of the story, um, not as, like, censorship, but as... 
I, I guess, respect for people who have gone through certain things. Is that kind of what yeah. you're feeling or is it? Yeah. So, so this novel actually began as an exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, the exercise was, let's see how far I can push it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let, let, let's push the envelope. Let's just, and it was just, it was just meant to be an exercise and that's it. Cause I, I do that uh, often actually. I'll sit down at the computer sometimes before actually getting to my novel and I'll just, you know, work on something that is um, out off the wall. You sure. know, I'm like, Hey, let me, let me see what I can do with this. And then I start typing and, and I see what I can do with it. Um, but that particular day it was, let's push the envelope. Let's see how far I'm willing to take things. Um, and it wasn't even that I was like willing to take it so far. Uh, but it was more about the fact that it was like, Oh wait, um, this is kind of messed up, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the story just kind of came out of it. Um, <clears throat> kind of began writing itself over the course of a month and a half. I wrote 55,000 words. Oh, wow. It just kind of, it just kind of poured out. Yeah. Um, now it needs a lot of editing. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that it's gold. Yeah. Well, since you wrote 55,000 <laughs> words in one month. I know, yeah. I know what that process looks like. I know you're abandoning a lot of stuff that I get the idea. I yeah. Understand. Yeah. So my, my editor and I are working through it right now. Um, I have a lot of work to do. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get to it when I have a little bit of extra time uh, without losing my brain a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh, so but it's it's a fun ride. I, I will tell you that the the story itself is going to be kind of crazy. Yeah. So um, let's let's jump back. Um, I know you've been writing for quite a while now. What was mm. what again? What was your first published book? The first published book is called The Suffering. Um, that one was an experiment, uh, mostly to kind of see if I could write the story from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, it's just a novella, but you know, I wanted to see if I could uh, start and finish a story. Hey, some of the most important pieces of art are novellas, right? Like Frankenstein, yeah. uh, Dr. Jackal, Mr. Hyde. Um, even uh, I am legend. I am legend. Yeah. What yeah. Call of Cthulhu that I guess that would be more just a short story. It's broken up like a novella, though. It's but, broken up, yeah. Because um, those are, though, I would I would consider that a collection of short stories. The Call of Cthulhu. Well, the yeah. all of Lovecraft stuff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he never. I mean, he wrote like in the Mountains of Madness is a little bit longer, I think. But even then, yeah. it wouldn't be longer than a novella. He was he mm-hmm. was the king of short format writing and getting yeah. to the that big moment that big climax yeah uh where inevitably someone's gonna kill themselves or (laughs) faint or something something. yeah (laughs) Yeah. um but the point being like uh just it it's it's amazing to me how potent shorter stories can be you know because you don't Mm. need to worry about the word length you're just writing it to write the story right and so right um you you put in what's necessary and you leave out what's not right definitely Definitely. And, so, and I think like short stories are difficult for me uh, because I can be long winded and I know this, yeah. you know, that's that's one of my my shortcomings where I have to uh, kind of learn how to rein in certain things. But um, your shortcoming is that you're long winded. My shortcoming is that I'm long winded. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. So I, I love that, though. 
so tell me about uh, the suffering. What what can people expect if they want to jump in on your on your first piece of work? Uh, so the suffering is written from one perspective only. Um, I do have some bits uh, left out from other perspectives that it didn't make it into the into the final. Um, but the 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 thing with the suffering is that it follows this journey taken by this young princess. Um, I actually had some people ask me if it was YA and it, it really isn't. <laughs> um, it, 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 and, and it's not because, you know, it is kind of a coming of age tale. It is kind of, you know, these different, it has different tropes that you would see in a YA. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference, however, is that all of it is wrapped around in, in really, really adult themes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she, she's, uh, she was almost home, right? When when it opens, she's almost home, mm -hmm. and her caravan is attacked. Oh, okay. And that's how it starts. And uh, you know, she ends up with an arrow through her upper chest, shoulder area, and she has to figure out how to survive on her own because she lost everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, so how is she going to do that? You know, is she going to be able to? And um, you know, by the end of it, you know, will we have seen the creation of a hero or? A villain ah very cool that's so cool man yeah. um so you're taking you're taking the idea of like a fantasy world and really kind of funneling it down into situational right yes very much so like like there are a lot of fantasy elements we have centaurs you know we have magic we have uh, all these kinds of things we have gods mm -hmm. right who act directly um but all of these things are really channeled through this one particular lens. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was extremely necessary, uh, which is why it ended up just being a novella and not a novel, mm -hmm. um, because it had to be very particular. It had to be through this one lens so that by the end of it, we don't even realize what just happened. Right. Um you know, all these decisions made, all of these choices and everything else, they all inevitably are going to lead somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the time the reader realizes what it was, their mind is blown. Right. Hopefully, right. hopefully that's the goal. <laughs> did you, uh, with that whole, uh, the twist sort of thing, did you have that in mind when you were writing it or, or before you started or did it come to you as you were writing the story? Um, I think it came to me as I was writing the story uh, because it, the the real the real twist comes in the epilogue, um, mm. which is after the the story technically is done, right? Yeah. Um, and that's when we really see okay everything up to that point. You know, she was just being, she was making logical, rational decisions, right? Or so we thought, right? Um, and then at the end, we see, wait, was she? And then we start questioning everything. So, yeah. so it was, it was a lot of fun for me because epilogues have kind of become my thing. I, I like throwing them into all of my stuff Yeah. Um, because they, they work, you know, they, they, sure. they help to uh, set up something that is probably going to come next. Right. If the end is the period at the end of the story, then an epilogue is like the, the, two more periods the dot dot just to make you go yep. oh, is there more to this and and yes. that's what i that's what i always loved about when a when an author can tell a full story 
and then you read the epilogue and you're like oh come on man no <laughs> yeah that was me that was me nice. um I, I had some people be like really <laughs> <laughs> i accept <laughs> yeah so um so how long was it between um how first of all how long did it take for you to write the suffering and then get it published uh, well, I published that one myself initially. Okay. Um, okay. But it took me probably about a month to write. Yeah. Uh, it was only 27,000 words. Right. But uh, that was a month to write, edit, and everything else. I, I did that all myself, though. I just had some beta readers look at it and kind of give me feedback. Like I said, it was just an experiment. It wasn't meant to be like, you know, the end-all, be-all or anything like that. Yeah. Um. But I have had readers come back and tell me that they enjoyed it even more than the Dark Archer. And really? they loved the Dark Archer. Yeah. Uh, but there was something raw mm -hmm. about the suffering, right? Yeah. There's something just that just it hits and it rubs and it doesn't let up. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's what they liked about that. Um, and, and for those who like that in the suffering, um, the Dark Archer is not that. It's much slower pace. Um, it's it's more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost gentle in its approach. Okay. But it's but it's very internalized, right? There's a lot of internalization, a lot of introspection, and that kind of stuff in in the Dark Archer. Um, but now with the Shadow Cult coming up. The Shadow Cult is much more like the Suffering than than the Dark Archer. So okay. I have this kind of ebb and flow thing going right now, and it's it's uh, a lot of fun for me. Uh, and so with with the Suffering, you you did that yourself, um, and then you did you immediately start on Dark Archer? And were, did you have the idea? Was it like okay, I've written that one. Now it's time for this one. I've got all these ideas. Um, or how did that process work for you? I, th I think that's about how it worked out. Um, so I finished the suffering and I was like, uh, I, I had sent it to a couple of friends, uh, a couple of trusted friends who are also authors and editors themselves. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, can you take a look at this and give me some feedback on, on, you know, thoughts and stuff. And uh, I ended up tweaking the shadow. The, no, I ended up tweaking the suffering a little bit at that point because of their feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the big things was in the very beginning, we see this captain and, uh, we don't see what happens to him. Sure. Right. So I added in the epilogue, which shows us what happens to the captain. Okay. And, and then, uh, the dark archer spun off straight from that because he is the captain. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's the captain and he becomes a wraith and, um, so yeah, it's it's uh So the Dark the Dark Archer, Archer is a sequel to to the sub It's a I call it a spin-off. Okay. More. Yeah. Uh, just because the it's Dark like Archer the is like book to 1 to Cheers is what we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> yes. The Fraser to Cheers. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I it's interesting I you know I can I can sit here and talk about this all day. You know, I'm I'm trying to write books. I, I self-published a, a book myself. And mm -hmm. so I, I have some idea of, of this process, but it's always interesting to talk to other people. Um, something that I did want to bring up because I, I, uh, I read an interview uh, that someone did with you yesterday and um, 
really fascinating. Um, but something that that hits me is it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for people to start asking questions that that peer into what's your process look like and mm -hmm. what's your success story? How did you get that? And and it almost be it like it has almost with this conversation very quickly. I mean, we're 15 minutes in and I'm mm -hmm. already like, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? There's something about the process of writing, I think, that people yeah. are uh, are more interested in that than the actual stories themselves. Have you have you noticed that? I have noticed that. I have noticed that. Um, I think that it's interesting because the process of writing is not glamorous. You right. know, there's nothing there's nothing particularly uh, standing that stands out about it. Like uh, you write. You know, mm -hmm. you're sitting at a computer, <laughs> hacking away at the keys, trying hoping that something sticks, <laughs> trying not to check your face. Yeah, yeah. Trying not to get distracted by the Internet. Right. Yeah. yeah. And 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 you're hoping that something sticks. Yeah. Literally. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the big things, I think, that that is I've always found fascinating um, when talking to, to people is, you know, well, where was the inspiration for this? I'm like, I don't know. I was sitting at my computer and, <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, you know, click clacking and yeah. here we go. You know, it, it pops up. Um, but it, it's, it is interesting because I, I, when I first got introduced to other authors, I was also curious, mm -hmm. you know, what do you do? You know, how do you do it? Uh, why do you do it like this? Um, you know, where do you pull inspiration from? And, yeah. and, you know, those things, they do matter because we do pull inspiration from, from outside sources. Like we, sure. you know, we're not, we're not a hundred percent original. Nobody is. Everything is built on what came before it. Right. And so how, I guess, I guess a lot of the questions really should be more angled toward, well, how do you pull that inspiration yeah. from those sources and how do you make it look different? Um, you know, and to answer that, uh, you know, I love Tolkien. Mm -hmm. I love Thomas Harris. I love Anne Rice. And I, and I tell people that I think my writing is kind of a mix of these three different writers who are very different, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anne Rice you and know, Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and Thomas Harris wrote, you know, the Hannibal Lecter series, right? Right. right. So, so we're talking about three completely different authors. Yeah. But these are three authors that made a huge impact on on my writing and my uh, reading. Um, so much so that you know, I, I would pull certain elements of Tolkien's world building, right? Mm -hmm. And then I would pull elements of Thomas Harris's storytelling ability, uh, Anne Rice's um incredible description yeah right because she she's she's second to none when it comes to description sure and and so that's where i think you know if we can find those um inspirations and pull from those and then pull the good and the bad right learn from those yeah. apply it uh and I, I think that's the biggest aspect of of all of that I mean, that's you're you're hitting the between Lewis and Lovecraft nail right on the head. Uh, I mean, the whole point of the show is is that that's those are my two authors and they're so different 
Um, and, and it's, how do we mix those things and what good and bad do you take from them? And, and, and I think that's even more important right now because, you know, not to get all, uh, up in, in the hot topic, but you know, we're dealing with people who have been in love with JK Rowling for Mm -hmm. the last 20 years. And they're starting to realize that they don't like her as a person. Um, but they still enjoy her, her work. Um, and as a Lovecraft fan, I've, I'm like, you guys, you guys have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Lovecraft was, was something else. Yeah. But, but his writing stands on its own. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, we had the same issue with Orson Scott card. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, I, I'm a fan of Ender's game. Um, I, that's one of my favorite books growing up Mm -hmm. and, you know, I know that, some of his personal beliefs, some of his personal ideals do, do not align with where um, with where we have progressed sure. as a society. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, though, if there's a danger to that right now. J.K. Rowling is very much in the now. Yeah. But when it comes to like H.P. Lovecraft or something, are they were they just dicks? Right. Or, <laughs> or were they just products of their time? Yeah. I, and, and how do we decipher that? And that's that's something that I, I've talked about. I mean, I talked about this a year ago when we first started the show, when we were diving into uh, Lovecraft's life. And I, mm-hmm. I don't really allow him to get away with that. Uh, I've heard a right. lot of people be like, oh, it's just a product of his time. But it's it's so much of it's not, you know. And mm-hmm. um, he there are certain things that he did that were known to be awful that he did anyway. And... Um, and then there are people, his contemporaries at the time were also very verbal about, um, you know, anti-racist things, but he right. chose to ignore them and or demean those writers because of yes. where they came from. And uh, he did. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not like there is a part of it of like, yes, uh, 1930s America was a more racist place. Um, and it was more accepted to be racist, but right. there's a difference between being in the 1930s and being around that and being such a staunch racist that right. and even, being a part of it. Yeah. Be, when the evidence is stacked against you that you shouldn't be this way, you fight against that. Right. Um, so that's, I think that's where I have, you know, it's like, I, I don't like to give him that leeway because then it just, it kind of invalidates the, the, the reason of mm. I I like his work, but not him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I always ask the question, um, does, does their personal life invalidate what they brought to the genre? Sure. And I think it's tough because I know that, that there's a lot of people they, they fight. Like I, I'm, I'm Hispanic, right? I'm native American. Right. I, I have a personal stake in the racism and stuff that's going on. Sure. Right. My Native American brothers and sisters are invisible in this world. Mm. Right. We can say all we want about racial justice and everything else. Right. But the thing is, is I can sit here and I can cite to you examples of what's going on in Native American tribes right now mm-hmm. where people just don't care. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, is how how are you going to decide what cause you're going to fight right right and and where are you going to draw those lines mm-hmm. because the thing is 
we're just one one person. You're one person. I'm one person, right? The change that we can bring as writers can possibly extend way beyond us. So how are we going to use that power? Are we going to use it for good or evil, right? Right. And and that's where like the superhero complex comes in. And it I find that it's really difficult to be justifying a lot of things that people have done. Mm-hmm. But then I have to sit back and question myself sometimes. Am I on the right side or wrong side of history? Right. 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 Is is my is the fact that I am tied to Cherokees or Aztecs, you know, does that separate me from from other people Mm. am i somehow less because of that Mm. right and the answer to that should be no should be (laughs) should be no but we're invisible yeah right so so how can i sit here and tell you how to think and feel as a white man right and uh, I don't know if you're white, but, you know, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> my apologies. Uh, but, nah, you know, I'm pretty white. I, yeah. Right. But, you know, you as a white man, how am I supposed to sit here and tell you how to think and feel about something sure. that you may not be a, a privy to? You, you're probably not aware of. Mm. Right. And the thing is, 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 yeah, sure. The information's out there. You can go and you can research all of that. But there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah. Right with with what happened earlier this year with Ahmaud Arbery, with what happened with George Floyd. Mm. Those were blatant attacks. Blatant race racial attacks. Now, I, I don't know if they were all racially charged per se, but they were, they could very easily have been. Sure. Right? Now, in the meantime, you know, the a lot of Native American tribes, specifically up in Montana and in Canada as well, are losing their women. Losing their women? What do you mean by that? Like their women are being kidnapped and then disappear. Really? Oh, yeah. This has been going on for years, many years. But the thing is, is police, they don't they don't talk they don't cooperate very well between the tribes and outside of the tribe. So once the woman is kidnapped and she's a tribal member, the police on the outside of the tribe can't do anything Mm. because this is an intertribal issue, right? The police on the tribe on the tribal lands can't do anything because the woman has been pulled out. So everything is in an uproar and there's no justice. Wow. Right. And so, I try and I I try and say, look, we have a little bit of awareness now of what is happening with the racial divide in America. Sure. Right. Um, Now, I hate using the word race because we're all one race. Um, I I like the term ethnicity. You know, we have different cultures. We have different upbringings. We have all these different things that should make us stronger and should make us more beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and then what ends up happening is you know, what we see on, on the news. Yeah. Right. And, and that's very sickening. It's, it's disheartening. Like the Amada Arbery thing like blew my mind. There, there wasn't even police involved. Mm-hmm. Like there's, these are civilians with guns. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, how on earth, like my, my brain still can't process what oh, just man. happened. Well, I mean, I'm up here in Oregon and, uh, literally right down the road from my house is where 
some of the fires were uh, mm. over the summer. Yeah. Um, and those were bad. They were really bad. They're still one of the fires is still being contained. It's still going and it's October. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. So we've been dealing with this for months and months. And, you know, it, to put in perspective, I understand that other people have been have been dealing with the wildfires for years. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I'm a wildfire expert. But but yeah. like it it something happened to the people of, of this area uh, of Clackamas County specifically in, in Oregon. Um, mm. But I think it happened. It, there was a shockwave throughout all of Oregon in the rural parts of Oregon because it finally hit us. And um, people were like they'd lock down their neighborhoods um, mm. to a point where um, I I've had people telling me about how they helped lock down their neighborhoods and what they would do is everyone in the neighborhood would get a a ribbon a specifically colored ribbon or something to put on their antenna or on their uh, car door and so when the car is going through the through the street everybody in the neighborhood could see that they belong to that neighborhood and if they Mm. didn't have it on people would grab their guns and go stand outside or even go into their cars and follow the car out of the neighborhood. And and there were even reports of some people in neighborhoods stopping cars and asking for ID. Civilians asking mm-hmm. other civilians, stopping them and asking them for ID to justify them going through their neighborhood, which wow. is insane. Like that, that is, is insane. That is some <laughs> that is some fascist some stuff Lord, right there some lord of the fly shit happening yeah. down the street from where i live like i was yeah. there was a certain point i mean i i had to leave my house because there was a fire so close to us and then when i came back um i came back because there were reports of looters in the area um and at one point this is completely unconfirmed and maybe just me being a a writer and and exaggerating things. But at one point I swear somebody was trying to come up onto my property as I'm standing there with a bat at my front door, like doing a survey because I hear the dogs barking. Right. Like, Mm. and, and it's a terrifying moment. It it inspires paranoia and fear and anger. And it's like, and I'm, you know, I'm a white guy in Oregon. I'm pretty, privileged as far as what I can have in my life. Mm. So to, to have that same sort of feeling in, uh, in on a reservation where the mm-hmm. outside isn't going to help you. And, and sometimes I know that, you know, cause I'm, I'm in Oregon, I've got quite a few native American friends who live on reservations. A lot of them yeah. don't want help from the outside. It's like, yeah. look, we're, we're going to take care of ourselves. That's why we have our tribe. Um, mm-hmm. and so there's that, there's that tension on top of whatever on what, top of, of it all. all the paranoia and fear and anger. Mm-hmm. So man, I that it's just it's just crazy right now what yeah. people have to deal with in in just day-to-day well, and life. see and see the big thing you know and your story highlights this. You know, I can't understand that struggle. The right the fires, the mm. looters, the the all of that, right? Like yeah. I can't understand that struggle. I don't know what that was like for you, mm-hmm. right? And I think the 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 understanding that point is probably something that most Americans are lacking right now. Is that- everybody knows everything, and yeah. therefore my opinion matters on what you're going through. Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't. 
right? Right. Like my struggles aren't your struggles. Mm -hmm. You don't understand what I deal with. I don't understand what you deal with, right? But we all have our own fight. And the sooner we as Americans can finally, you know, wake up and realize this one simple Mm -hmm. fact, right? Uh, empathy. The, <laughs> You're talking about empathy. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the sooner we can just be like, oh, okay, well, then how can I help you? Yeah. Right? I don't know what don't you're know. feeling. I don't know what you're going through, but I can understand the the struggle of it. So I want to help you with so that. Struggle. I want to help you with yeah. that struggle. Yeah. And that, that would work for the tribes. That would work for you. That would work for me. Right. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a mental health advocate, right? Mm-hmm. I, I write uh, a lot about PTSD, depression and stuff like that. It's in my books, you know, um, the, the, this idea of suffering, right? That life is suffering. It's a very Buddhist precept. Um, and so, you know, I, I write about these things because I feel like we need to be on a path toward overcoming that. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's not always easy. It's it's easier said than done, obviously. Right. You know, life, as we say, life has this audacity to just keep throwing stuff at us, even though we don't want it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, when it rains, it pours, right? Yeah. And uh, and that happens a lot. That does happen a lot. We 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 all understand that, but then we allow. And I think this is what separates people a lot of times is that some of us will allow that to manifest negatively. Right. Where, where, yes, we're struggling, but instead of growing from it and becoming better people, we go a different route. Mm. We become bitter. We become angry. We become out, you know, just we're, we're lashing out. And I can't necessarily blame some people for that, but at the same time, that shows a lack of maturity. Sure. Right. That shows that they haven't grown up enough yet and that life may be, and it could be also that life has just been beating them their entire life. Yeah. Right. And that's possible. And, you know, at some point you're going to snap, you know, so how do we help them overcome that? Right. And that's, that's so big for me. Like, like just trying to help people understand where we are how to get to the next part is and that, just is that in your books is that a part of your books of the taking is. that next step uh in a way it's not overt um it's for everybody to kind of read and decipher for themselves hmm. uh and and the reason why i did that was because you know the there's, there's a lot and, and my veteran buddies who have read it love it because they they see um that militaristic ptsd yeah right where you come from this particular background and, you know, uh, the things you've had to do, the, the battles you had to fight real, you know, life, you know, life or uh, death situations. Exactly. And, and the decisions you have to make because of that, right. Mm -hmm. They're, they're not easy. And sometimes you're the, the choice is their life or mine. Yeah. And, And how do you live with that? Right. Um, and granted, some people, they, they get hard after a while. They're they're, uh, But I think those people, their minds, they just aren't there. Yeah. If you can easily justify killing another man, <clears throat> there's a problem, in sure. my opinion. You know, even even if you're in the military, which I was right, because uh, I was in the Air Force and, and we are trained to kill. And, and that is part of the nature of the military. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, we shouldn't be looking for justifications. Right. You know, we should be looking for peaceful resolutions. Right. <clears throat> uh, military should always be the last resort, not the first action. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And, and that's something that I feel um, America has lost, you know, sometime in the last, who knows, 50, 60 years, maybe more. I mean, at it, least since World War Two. Yeah. I mean, look at look at America as far as its track record. I mean, we've we were born out of war. Right. We were born out yeah. of conflict. So it's I, I what period was there where we weren't our first instinct isn't to fight and prove ourselves mightier than whatever foe we're up against. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's just a mentality that that Americans have uh, born in us. I, I think it comes from, I mean, you look at the American history. We, we came because we, people came to this country because they were tired of the way things were. So they rebelled and came over here or because they were sent here because they were exiled from freaking mm -hmm. England or somewhere. Right. So not so. Not, so at what point did we become the people who made everybody else be us? Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And then and then we we get stuck in the thirteen colonies or whatever, and we're you know we're like ah oh, this is great we're gonna do our thing and then we finally we cut ourselves off and we're like you know screw England screw our origins we're doing it our own and then we start moving west and we start taking over the country because it's like hey it it belongs to us we're important enough to to own yeah. this place anyway. Um, so that's, it's like, we, we look for conflict. It's not even yeah, like do. it finds us. We're going out of our way to create it. I think, and I think that's a very human thing, actually. I don't think that's an American thing. Mm. Um, I think, I think that there are people out there who require some level of conflict, um, in order to, I guess, feel alive in some way. Sure. Um, I pity those people actually. I really do mm. because, you know, I have learned the value of silence and I have learned the value of peace and quiet. And I think too many haven't sure. learned that. Right. And I think that's a problem. Um, you know, we live in a, in a big country of gorgeous country. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely beautiful here. Um, I think the people are absolutely beautiful as well. Yeah. You know, generally speaking, I think people are kind and generous here. I think they are the same across the world because I have seen other parts of the world mm. and people are people, you know, you know what people want at, at the very foundation of everything. People want to be left alone. Mm. They want to be able to raise their family in a good neighborhood. They want to be able to enjoy the time with their kids in peace and quiet. Yeah. You know, but all these causes I fear sometimes while justified in many cases draw us away from that peace. Yeah. And we become addicted to, you know, action and doing and finding the next thing, you know, I'm not going to say that we don't have problems because we do, but I believe that the best cure for these problems starts at home. Yeah. It starts with us individually fixing what we can yeah, where being, we have being better people ourselves. And it, I mean, the idea is you change yourself from within mm -hmm. and, and then you can start resonating out. Right? Exactly. 
Um, and that's that's how I think. That's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've thought that kind of – I go off on my own, you know, Christian way of doing that. Um, but I've, I've had, I've held that same belief for a really long time. Uh, and it's been something that I've genuinely been trying to work on in myself and why I started reading a lot of the stuff that I did. I mean, that's, that's why I started picking up, uh, C.S. Lewis's work, uh, outside of the Narnia. I read that in high school, you know, I was like all about Narnia. I love that stuff. But it was, it was later on. It was like when I was like 24, when I actually picked up, uh, you know, like Mere Christianity by Lewis or Screwtape mm-hmm. Letters, The Great Divorce. And and these books, uh, they affected me. And, and I and I think in a good way for, you know, like thinking critically about what I really believe and putting logic behind it so that I can I can help people rather than just argue with people. You know what I mean? Yes. And, yeah. and, and, that and was, some of it, I think, comes from a lack of understanding. Yeah. You know, because I, th- I think uh, there are a lot of Christians out there who think that there's like a, another crusade. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that they have to go out and and, you know, the Great Commission, they take it super seriously. Yeah. The problem is, though, is that at no point did it say to force that on people. No. Right. And that's the problem. That's where that's where I think a lot of the disconnect ends up coming. And and like, um, you know, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people on the religious side where, you know, <clears throat> I grew up in Christianity, um, but I also grew up learning other religions as well. Um, I grew up learning about uh, Judaism. Mm-hmm. You know, I l- learned about Islam. I learned about uh, Zoroastrianism. I learned about all of these things, right? There's so many religions throughout the world, the Hindus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know what one thing permeates every single one of these religions? Uh, trying to be a better person. Yeah, do unto others, right? Be a good person and people will be good back to you. Yeah. That's literally at the foundation of every single one of these. Like, like the more I've looked at Christianity, the more I've looked at all these things, even the Ten Commandments, right? Mm-hmm. At least half of the Ten Commandments are all about your interactions with other people. <laughs> Don't mess with other people, man. Chill. Like, <laughs> like, you know, and you read through the Bible and you don't see that. Right. You know, what did Abraham do to his wife? Right. Uh, they hadn't changed their names yet. But, you know, uh, when he when he is basically pimping her out because he didn't want to be his her husband for a moment. Oh, when oh, when he was saying, oh, let's be brother and sister when we come to this place. And, and then yeah. they're like, oh, well, then I'm going to get with her. And he's like, oh, as long as you don't kill me. And then he couldn't exactly. take it anymore. He's like, she's my wife. And then they had to run away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, these these kinds of things. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's not um, even the worst story. Of the That's a, that's not even that's the a, worst that's story. A pretty tame story as far as Old Testament goes. Yeah. I mean, look at David. David was the man after God's own heart. And what did he do? <laughs> Every woman <Right>? he could. <laughs> Every. <laughs> I, I love I'm sorry. I'm just I love probably for the last 30 minutes we've been talking about this we're supposed to talk about books right (laughs) (laughs) right no i love the books i I love this though and that's exactly what this whole this whole series is about you know this whole um correspondence thing is about is uh, 
you know, I, I'm here to nerd out about whatever you want to nerd out about, right? Mm. So if it's politics and philosophy, dude, I, I, I'll sit here all day and talk with you about it. Um, yeah. But is there is there anything else as far as, as books? Uh, like you were talking about earlier, you were talking about your favorite books being the Hannibal series. Yeah. Um, let's let's jump into that. Uh, unless there's okay. anything else you, I mean, any other declarations for the American oh, no. people? No, <laughs> let's 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 cut that I off. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't. If look, man, if that's what you want to talk about, again, I'm more than happy to. But I know yeah. that that you had mentioned before your favorite your favorite author is the author of the Hannibal series. I, I already forgot his name. Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's let's jump into that. What is, yeah. tell me about that process. When did you start reading it? When did you find out you loved his work? Uh, why uh, is it still there? I read, I, well, okay. So I, I had first heard about it. I had watched Silence of the Lambs as a kid. As a kid? Yeah. I saw that with my parents. All right. <laughs> this is the eighties, bro. Like they, yeah. they, I, parents didn't know, care. I then. say that, but I also watched Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs as a kid. Probably I was yeah. like. 14, 15 years old when my dad was like, you got to watch it. This is so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Manhunter was pretty decent. Uh, I think the remake of Red Dragon with Ed Norton was really good too, though. Oh, yeah? It was it was more faithful to the book. Okay. Um, although they did show a little too much Hannibal because he was the draw. Um, right. It was supposed to be movie. like the, the prequel that made the trilogy complete for that. Well, that Red Dragon had been right? out... Yeah, well, Red Dragon had already been out. Oh, had, oh okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal. Right. Um, and they had already been out. So Silence of the Lambs, when it was made, it, it had been made. Manhunter had been made, I think, before that. Um, but Silence of the Lambs really is the one that kind of catapulted all of that to, to, you know, people's knowledge, right? Right. Uh, it won wards. Uh, Jodie Foster was absolutely amazing. Uh, Anthony Hopkins killed it, right? Yeah. Um, and so those things were were kind of the the what happened as far as the cinema goes. But the books had had been out. And uh, so after I saw Silence of the Lambs, I found out about the books. I went and I found them all. I still have I still have them. I still read them uh, every so often. And um, Red Dragon is super good, right? Mm. Uh, it was shockingly good to me. And then Silence of the Lambs, the book was even better than the movie, mm. which is saying something because that movie is incredible. Right. Um, and even more so because of the the movies, I could see everything in my head. So mm -hmm. it was kind of cool. Right? Yeah. That's how I am with Harry Potter. I'm reading Harry Potter right now. And so because I've seen the movie so much, Mm -hmm. I can actually visualize the things. Otherwise, it'd be hard for me to visualize a lot of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, so then I, I sat down and I read Hannibal. And I probably burned through Hannibal. Hannibal's much bigger than the first two books. Uh, but I probably burned through that even faster. I think I finished it in about five hours. Holy cow. Kind of one sitting. Like, I just, I, I was just hooked. Like, there was no slowing me down on that one. <laughs> and, uh I got to the end and I just, I just sat there for a while. I was just looking at it and I was kind of in shock, right? Because I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, um, I got to the end of Hannibal 
and everything about Hannibal Lecter made sense. He wasn't anymore the antagonist. He had become an anti-hero, mm. almost a hero. Yeah. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> and so, you know, uh, and like I've read the books a couple times since, uh, probably more than that, but there's something subtle about what Thomas Harris did. Yeah. Right. That now Hannibal is my all time favorite novel ever written, period. Nice. Okay. Um, and it, it wouldn't have been so without the first two setting up everything. Sure. Right. But yeah, I get to, I get to Hannibal and I get to the end of Hannibal and my mind's blown literally. Like I was just, okay, this is amazing. Um, and so, you know, there, there are shocking events. There are things in here that take place and whatnot that we're like, what on earth is that? But when you think about it, it makes perfect sense right? There's, there's certain elements throughout that really catch the eye and really can't draw your attention. Right. Um, you get Hannibal's backstory, even you get where he came, you get the story of where he came from and how all of these things uh, probably happened. Right. And at that point you're, you're like feeling bad for him, you know, because of what happened. Okay. And, and so, you know, it was just crazy, you know, I got to the end and I'm like cheering because he and he and Clarice are together, right? Like it just made sense, ah. you know, and it's not even a spoiler because everything before that is what would spoil everything for you. <laughs> like literally, you know, the very end of it and you see him getting out of a Jaguar and you're like, dope, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nice. It's so good. It's so good. Um, I cannot speak enough about that book. I, I they they did a movie of Hannibal, right? Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> Don't base the book on the movie, please. Okay. Um, but then they yeah. also they've also done a TV show, right? They did a TV show. I didn't get into the TV show, but it was with Mads Mikkelsen. And I yeah. heard it was pretty decent. So I I have I, it's so interesting to me. I I want to watch it so bad. But yeah. I hate, and I can't stress this enough, I hate police formula TV shows, mm -hmm. The just the same episode over and over again with yep. new A, new B, new C. Okay, let's throw it together. It just bothers the crap out of me. Uh, the last one I did was Psych. And the only reason yeah. I could put up with it was because it was funny and, like, they – they had a lot of a lot more elements to the formulaic feel, mm. but then I tried to rewatch it and I'm like, oh, this is it's so hard to watch. It's, it's, yeah, it's so I can't. Formulaic. I don't watch the the police uh, procedurals anymore. Even yeah. as much as I love, I love Nathan Fillion, yeah. but I couldn't get into the rookie. You know, uh, I watched I watched okay. enough Castle, mm. like I watched enough Castle because, but that was because he's an author. And he's going along on police rides, and there there's a different kind of you know dichotomy there that right. I kind of liked. But even like that, I, I couldn't finish the series, right? right. Um, but I mean, at some point, I'm I'm the guy who's like, eight episode series is plenty. Yeah, I can make it through that in ten maybe. But when you get to 23, 45 minute uh, episodes, yep. Yep, it's yep. just too much, right? Like I, I, I love Arrow. 
Stephen Amell is one of my favorite actors. I absolutely love that that series and all the spinoffs from it. The Flash, right? You know, uh, Batwoman, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Like all of, I love all of them. Right. But I had to stop watching because it was just too much. Right. You know, I'm like, I get it. You know, it's on for a season. There's 23 episodes per season. But man, it's just a lot. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't anymore. I you know. And so, I made it probably five or six episodes into Green Arrow. And I was like, nah, I'm good. Uh, not going to not going to do this show. <laughs> I, I made it through season six. Wow. Um, super good. Well, it's super good. Like, I loved all of the all the little nuances and the story and plot lines and stuff. Uh, I, I really love the the subplot though, from when they would show the flashbacks of him and Lian Yu like that. I really liked, I think, um, I think that's, I, I think lost ruined flashbacks for me. Cause now mm. anytime a show has flashbacks, I'm like, Oh yeah. Lost. Tedious. I could see that. I, I, I never got into lost. I know a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't, I, I did get into fringe. Oh, Fringe yeah. was super good. So good. I never finished it, but it's the amount that I watched. Uh, I've, so I've been meaning to actually go back and rewatch it because it is so good. It is so good. I think, honestly, I think Fringe, because that's not your, your, it's not a typical police procedural. Nope. It is completely off the wall. Yep. Way different. Super fringe sciences. And it's mind blowing, right? Yeah. Like uh, one of the, one of the episodes that stands out to me was an episode where, uh, this guy, and I don't know if you saw it, but this guy was able to put into action very specific events that would end in the outcome that he wanted. Okay. Like he could like think about like the chaos theory, right? Right. Butterfly's wing beat can start a chain of events that ends with a hurricane. On the other side of the world. Yep. Right. Okay. So... It's basically that, but controlled. Oh, okay. Okay. By this one man, right? Like he could control or see so clearly all of the pieces working together yeah. to where he could, he could do, he could kick over a bicycle and it would cause this whole chain of events. Sure. To get what he wants out of it. My, it was like, oh my God, this is the coolest <laughs> thing. Like I was like, oh my goodness. So yeah, I loved loved that it was the coolest yeah uh the i think also i was kind of um i was a little bit spoiled off of a lot of like the netflix stuff that started coming out so mm. like daredevil to me is one of the greatest shows ever it created was so good because yeah. they were only what eight or ten episodes long i think they were ten yeah. episodes long may have been 13 you're, I, as I was saying 10, I felt like it was like 12, but I don't know. It's short yeah. enough to where like each episode feels like its own movie. And, but then yeah. you don't feel like you have to commit to this full season of something, but you get mm -hmm. so much information and so much good yeah. cinematography. And it's just an absolute beauty of a show. And so like stuff like and Jessica that, Jones was equally good in my opinion. The first season. I never even watched the second season. I heard it kind mm -hmm. of dropped off with the second yeah. Um, and the defenders was pretty, pretty well done. Uh, it was you know, pretty well done. I watched it. Uh, the only reason I, I liked it was because of daredevil. Um, <laughs> the rest of the season, I was like, all right, 
that's yeah. cool, I guess. I, I was, Iron Fist was a letdown. That's what I was about to say. I think maybe the reason I didn't like Defenders so much is because I, I had just watched Iron Fist. And I was like, yeah. and Iron Fist in the comic books is one of my favorite characters. I've got, yeah. you probably can't see it, but it's like right there, that green one. Mm. Right uh, I'm a, whatever. Uh, I've got a bunch of his comics, and I and I love him because he's so he's such an interesting character. And in the show, they just made him this like pouty boy who who's really bad at at, <laughs> at fighting, uh, yeah. even though he's supposed to be great. And and he's got a he shakes his little fist, and then he gets angry, and then he punches. It's like dude, that's so, it's so much cooler than that. You guys are ruining it. Yeah. Um, and so I think I've- that taste was still there that bad taste was still there when mm-hmm. i watched the defenders so i couldn't get into it yeah yeah I, honestly what was funny is across all of those uh series though the the one thing i did uh like was the tie-in with rosario dawson's character the nurse yeah um she was my favorite character out of all of the, <laughs> out of all of the shows, <laughs> those shows she was my favorite character yeah uh, but yeah she was she was like the the conscience between them all yep and it, it was so cool to watch them take a comic book character that's so obscure and so random. And and then they're like, no, but she actually plays a very important part to these people. Yeah. Um, so I, I really liked that a lot. I will say this. I am super stoked to see her as Ahsoka Tano. As uh, what is this? She's going to be Ahsoka Tano in Mandalorian 2. Oh, okay. The second season okay. of Mandalorian. So I have. I am. This is the first. Okay. I know Mandalorian 2 is coming out. I have yeah. actively not watched anything because I, I don't want to get all excited before it's out. I'm, I will wait and I will just I watch it when it comes out. I am excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am super excited. Um, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so amazing. Cause like, uh, the Clone Wars is probably one of my favorite shows. Okay. Honestly, um, I think they the over the years they did such a great job with the Clone Wars and specifically Ahsoka's uh, character arc and and story that it really called into question everything that we believed about the Jedi Council from the movies. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you ever get a chance, watch. Uh, and and you can actually instead of watching every episode, you can skip to the specific ones. There's actually a list out there. I'll have to find it for you. Yes. Yeah, where you can over. watch where you can watch just the uh, pertinent Ahsoka Tano uh, lines, so that you can see what happens. I'm with, sure there's like a YouTube that. compilation or something, right? There someone's, might be. There might be. Someone's done a super cut of her journey or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, You'd probably find it. It was. It's so good, and there are definitely YouTube videos about her journey specifically, yeah. but not from the sh- like. They just do highlights of the show instead, right. um, but it'll give you all the information you need to to know. Um, but her her story's sad. Like, right. Yeah. Did you uh, did you get into Avatar: The Last Airbender during quarantine like everyone else seemed to? I did. Yeah. I did. Me and my me and my six year old did. Um, I hadn't seen it before, but I had heard about it, so sure. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is really good." Yeah, man. So, 
Yeah. I I had watched uh I'd watched that when I was younger. I was a little I think I was a little older than the demographic they were going for when it was on Nickelodeon, but mm-hmm. I didn't care. I watched that. <laughs> I watched it like crazy. Um yeah. and then when I was in college, a friend of mine had all of the seasons on DVD. And so we would watch them and um we didn't we didn't go as far as to write our own fan fiction, but we would come up with our own like ideas for episodes and things while we're watching it and um and so that like i and then i got my wife to watch it and so she fell in love with it uh and then we watched the follow-up the legend of cora and she was like no Mm -hmm. this is dumb i hate it and i was like i don't know i kind of like it and (laughs) so uh so yeah when everyone when everyone started watching it again during quarantine i took full advantage and was like yeah we're gonna watch it again and Mm-hmm. Oh man, I love that show so much. I think it's one of it the greatest, really uh, one of the best written shows, and it and it tricks you into thinking it's a kids show, and then out of it's, nowhere, it's like, yeah. holy crap, this is this is not a kids show <laughs> at all. No, it has some very big, big, uh, big person themes um, throughout it. If you know what to look for, uh, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised because i i had seen the m night Shyamalan movie oh i'm sorry yeah yeah me too, <laughs> me too. um so yeah that's that was my introduction to that oh man that's um, even worse you had no context and <laughs> uh, none none well i mean because I, I i think i was too old for for uh the show like i didn't even i didn't even have nickelodeon like i was um I think when it came out or when did it come out? Like early two thousands? Uh yeah, I think the first season was oh four, oh five, somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah, I was in the military. Yeah. So like you know, I know I remember hearing some people talk about it, but that was the extent. Like I, I've ever since I left my parents' house, I have not had any cable TV. Right. Um, I rely only on internet and like Netflix and yeah, the streaming, you know, stuff. and anything, anything that's streaming really, uh, or my, or my movies. Cause I love my movies. I'd have my Blu-rays. Um, that was the only other, you know, thing for me. Yeah, man. So, yeah. Uh, but I tell you what, like I, I love, um, I always loved that kind of stuff. Uh, the kind of fantasy genre bending type writing. Yeah. Um, you know, and Uncle Ido was was just amazing. Like yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. When he did the whole uh, how to do the the lightning bending thing and talked about, it, he's like, you take all four of the elements and they're bending, and this is how you do this super cool move. Uh, I I watched that over and over again when we when we were watching it last time because it hit me so hard, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier for me of like, you know, my, I have my belief, I have my core, uh, belief in my salvation, but there are other philosophies that can help me lead a good life. And that's exactly what he's talking about in that, or Mm -hmm. at least to me, I don't know, maybe everyone else is like, no, he's talking about earthbending, you dummy. But like, uh, to me, that's what he's saying in that moment. And then you can go online and look around and people have done these huge dissertations on how Zuko, he after that point he starts to incorporate other bending styles into his fighting style and if you watch really closely you can see them and i'm like 
holy cow, <laughs> like that's so yeah. involved. I can't believe one that the creators were so prolific that they could put that in the show and that we have viewers mm-hmm. now that are so involved that they can catch that. They can pinpoint it and find it. Yeah. I always, I always love it when, when, uh, you know, you and I as writers, you know, I love it when we find those kind of gems too. Yeah. Um, or put those gems into our stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very purposeful about, um, you know, the cameos I put in or the, or the stories that I tell and, and how, you know, even the history of my world, how it, you know, unfolds yeah. throughout, um, you know, you start piecing all these things together and you start realizing everything was inevitably, inevitably leaving, leading to this. Right. You know, um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting to, to kind of, you know, see that and to play with it. Are you encouraged when you see that stuff or does it make you feel, I mean, you've obviously seen some success as a writer. So uh, obviously it's going to be different for me than for you, but I feel sometimes when I see that sort of stuff, I'm like, man, I just, do I have the chops to be an author and, and to do this the right way? Or am Mm -hmm. I always just going to be one of those, like, the people that just writes a $3 book on Amazon, you know, and I just, I'm just going to have a series of $3 books on Amazon. Uh, nothing, that, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not what I see myself doing. Um, mm. Do you deal with that as well? Or are you pretty confident when you see that sort of stuff? Like, yeah, I do that. I do that too. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's funny because I, I think I put my own spin on those things, okay. right? Um, we all deal with imposter syndrome. There's no question about that. Yeah. You know, but when it comes down to a lot of these things, what I, what I try to do is I try to tell people, look, my style isn't normal for mm. today's writers, right? I write with a very classical feel, um, you know, think uh, even Tolkien, think Lovecraft, yeah. you know, yeah. these kind of stylizations. But where I tweak it is I don't ramble on in one sentence for an entire paragraph that lasts an entire page. Sure. Right. I don't do that. I can, um, (laughs) but I don't. Right. And I'm very purposeful about, about making sure that I keep a classical feel, but with a modern twist. Right. Right. And I, and I always love it when the readers pick up on that, which they usually do. Um, And, and that's something that I think that, that for me is very beautiful. Right. I, I sit down, I, set to writing like I, I just wrote a story for one of my classes it's for my advanced fiction class had to be like six to ten pages you know and uh it was about a mermaid right um all right <laughs> or a siren okay. right yeah siren i went with siren you know but my daughter said mermaid evil mermaid and yeah turns out my siren wasn't so evil after all but um you know, the, the entire point of the story was an internalization of this one siren who's all alone. She she thought that um, she had been completely left and abandoned or they all died off, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, of introspection, a lot of internalization. And I find that I can draw on emotions very well using that tactic. Yeah. It's kind of where my strength lies, right? And so when I'm writing, 
even my bigger stories, my novels or what have you, I am very purposeful about using my strengths to tell the story. Sure. Right. Now my strengths aren't going to be your strengths, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, I have some author friends who are really good at writing humor. That's not me. I can't write humor very well. (laughs) I can write sarcasm. Right. Um, And I can make that funny, but I can't like, like just to be humorous. I, I can't, I have a really hard time with that. Yeah. And so I have to be really mindful of that. You know, it's like, uh, I, I list, I remember that quote from Joss Whedon where he says, you know, make it dark, make it grim, but for the love of God, tell a joke. Yeah. You know? Um, wow. That is it's, 100% the Joss Whedon way, isn't it? <laughs> right. You know, and, and granted, I don't do it that often, but you know, I tr- do try to inject humor where I can. Yeah. Um, it's just my own brand of humor. And, yeah. and that's, I have to rely on that. Right. I, I know for, for me, like I do the same thing and maybe it's my own process of like trying to lighten the mood a little bit, even in my own brain when I'm writing. But, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm writing the story that I'm currently on, I can't help but, you know, I know these characters well enough to know that someone's going to make a, a joke at some point or someone's going to be sarcastic or, or point out uh, ridiculousness because because mm-hmm. they would, right? Like if it was yeah. me, I would point out how ridiculous the situation is and I'd try to have fun mm-hmm. with it at the very least because it's terrifying. Right. Um, and And so like I feel like that does add some sense of realism to uh, otherwise very fantasy and surreal situation. Um, So that that's what I do as far as humor is I I try to use it to create more realistic reactions in the situation. Yeah. Well, and especially if, you know, you're in a situation where you just throw up your hands and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You know, all right, well, let's go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, I got you there. Um, so, uh, just to just to backtrack, I, I feel like we're going to be coming to the end here. Um, your new book is coming out uh, on October 30th? 29th. 29th. You know, yeah. I I was taking a shot there. Um, it was close. Yeah, yeah. you were very close. <laughs> Uh, so on October 29th, uh, the book, which is the sequel to Dark Archer, correct? Yes. Uh, and it's called, um, come on, I know the Shadow Cult. The Shadow the Cult. The Shadow Cult, yeah. yeah. Uh, no notes. I have no notes in front of me. I did that. I am impressed. Yeah. I am impressed. Good job. Yeah. Um, I am I'm genuinely excited about this book. Is, is there something that you can tease that you can give to our listeners for if they're looking at picking this up? Uh, yes, uh, definitely pick up the dark archer first. Um, okay. Good because move. they, they are very tied together. Um, I don't want you to be lost if you, if you pick up the shadow cult alone. So, um, definitely read the two of them together. Uh, the shadow cult, it follows, uh, what happens in the dark archer pretty close, uh, mm-hmm. within three months, you, the next, you know, the shadow cult starts from the end of the dark archer and, uh, our protagonists, they are looking for uh, the origins of this black magic that created uh, Ben in the first book. Okay. Um, and so the whole idea in the Shadow Cult is, you know, there's there's trouble brewing, uh, potential war between two of our 
nations uh, that shouldn't have been, right? It should not have been uh, a thing, but, you know, because of bad decisions being made and poor leadership, you know, here we are. <laughs> and so uh, we see that, right? And so it was very, uh, this just begins to tumble. Uh, there's one thing that leads after another, after another. Mm. And uh, it's very fast paced. Um, but the the entire premise is who's the enemy? Yeah. Yeah. Who is the enemy? Uh, is the enemy who you think it is, who you want it to be, or is it something way worse? Mm. And so um, I'll give you a little spoiler. It's way worse. <laughs> it's always way worse. It's always, always way worse. worse exactly so so you know it's it's uh it was a lot of fun to write um i enjoyed the heck out of it my editor said that she loved it even more than the dark archer oh okay that's good so yeah. that's that's pretty awesome um i have gotten a five-star review out of it from reader's favorite already oh wow nice. so um so now i am two five-star reviews for the dark archer and the, and the shadow cult now would you okay so you're releasing this end of october which means uh it's perfect timing for christmas maybe right mm. who be. would yep. you recommend like if if i was to buy this for someone um mm -hmm. as a gift the, let's say the the full set right the suffering okay. dark archer and uh the shadow cult i want to get them the full set what okay. person who am i gonna look to give this to uh you're gonna want to find someone who one loves classical writing okay two loves uh really deep philosophical fantasy okay and three someone who uh enjoys getting lost in a fantasy world so i'm just gonna buy myself this and yeah just hold on. <laughs> uh, Sounds what, perfect. What uh, what age range are we looking at? Obviously, it's it's a little bit darker, right? So not. It's a darker. I, I I don't suggest it for kids. Okay. Uh, the Shadow Cult itself has a sexually explicit scene. Mm -hmm. um, there is a little bit of language between the two books, or yeah, I don't think there's any language in in the suffering. Um, but uh, yeah, mostly. The themes are very uh, internalized, uh, very depression-based, PTSD-based stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I, I always tell people it's very adult, not because, not necessarily for the explicit stuff, but because of the uh, emotional impact. Mm in there so i would honestly if i was to try and figure this out i would probably say i'd i'd look for maybe a college student or someone who is about to go into college um who is probably dealing with a lot of stuff because that's when mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of uh our emotional um baggage really starts to come out because we have to pit yeah. it against the world we don't have our family members there to to uh hold us down at least that's what happened right. to me um, so I, I would probably look for someone around that age. Um, mm -hmm. and if the, if I was getting them a gift, I would probably, you know, get them this as a, Hey, this is a great book. You know, you should read it. And do you think that that would probably be suitable for that? That would probably be suitable. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's a lot of themes, uh, military members as well. If you know any vets, okay. uh, or active duty, they would probably enjoy these books, um and then uh it's interesting because the demographics of those who have read my book and enjoyed it span all sorts of 
people. Sure. Uh, surprisingly so, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had a doctor friend who who read it and she absolutely loved it. So I was kind of shocked. Uh, one of the things that she pointed out was in the suffering, the uh, the way that the princess finds, you know, her survival. Uh, she said that she had to kind of kind of look away a little bit because she said it was very accurate. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was it was high praise um and and uh and that kind of stuff but she was like yeah you did you did a really good job with that nice very cool so yeah did that real quick did that come from your experience in the military that that story that a detail to that story some of it some of it some of all some of it was also uh the way i grew up i I grew up in the desert where you know everything's trying to kill you (laughs) (laughs) yes Um, even the plants Every plants, you know, uh, but you learn how to use those defense mechanisms on the plants to uh-huh. your advantage. Uh, the needles and the um, everything from the cactus and, you know, how to cut off the 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 fruit and eat that and that kind of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, survival stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, my dad taught me how to survive in the wilderness, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was the desert or the mountains. Uh, whether you had water or you didn't have water, you know, how did you do that? And I can make a still in the, in the desert and have water. Nice. That's yeah. Cool. It's, it's phenomenal. You know, it's, it's a really cool skill to have and apparently not very many people can do it. I do not know how to do that at all. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, that's, that's definitely one of those things. So, yeah, I mean, survival was very big, uh, uh, in the house when, it, when where I grew up, my dad is very keen on that kind of stuff um he had grown up hunting and fishing and that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. so i did too you know and uh yeah it was it was amazing it was amazing childhood as far as that goes with my dad um to go and do those kinds of things and and be able to learn all that stuff because i i you know growing up i didn't think it was anything special um it wasn't until i joined the military that i realized that so few people actually can live out there on their own sure (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah man Cool. Don't get me wrong, though. I love my creature comforts. I, I love my showers and <laughs> my TV, you know. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you want to do it all the time. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Robert, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Is there anything anything else you want to say to our listeners or, or put out there in the world? Uh, just follow me. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on uh, Twitter at Shadowy Embrace. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook. I have a reader group at Beyond the Fall pretty easy to find and uh yeah come hang out with me um let's you know uh, let me know what you like you know maybe i'll write something yeah awesome all right robert and listeners uh make sure you go follow him check him out um look for his uh his sequel to dark archer it's coming out on october 29th until then go pick up the dark archer read that one so that you know what's going on in the next one um and leave a review uh that's always really important for authors as well as podcasts so leave two reviews one for him one for us maybe i don't know hey that sounds good yeah um let's do it (laughs) uh and so yeah so thanks guys and have a good uh rest of 2020 (laughs) try and stay alive (laughs) best of luck out there yeah (laughs) learn to make water still It's the best place to hide. It's in your mind.